You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you've got kids that are a part of the kids class, they can be dismissed to the back. This is ages 4 to 4th grade. We invite them, if you want, to join Ms. Carolyn in the back for their class today. Many of you know I had the chance to uh, go to Snowbird um, this weekend and speak at the Youth Pastors Conference, and that was an encouraging opportunity to get to hang out with Rob, Spencer, and Sean, our missionaries and their families that we support there, and um, just a good time of fellowship with them, able to catch up and just spend some time talking. Um, They wanted me to make sure that I told you that they send their regards to you guys, and um, Spencer actually was here last week and left um, some thank you cards in the back um, and some information about how to stay updated with their adoption process so you know that our church supported them with their adoption and so he's got some thank you cards in the back that you're welcome to pick up. Um, also had the chance to hang out with the youth pastor that we housed their youth group here um, a couple weeks ago when their church was heading up from South Florida. Um, him and one of his youth were there for uh, the youth pastors conference so it was encouraging Um, being able to talk to him. And then I got to hang out with um, this other guy who's a, uh, used to be a senior pastor and actually went back to being a youth pastor. Older guy that's um, in a a church there in North Carolina um, on the other side of the mountain that he had come over and was just hanging out and fellowshipping with him. And he was telling me that uh, within their youth group, they've started using some of the stuff from Matt 28 because he listened to our pod, my podcast from up there at the last Youth Pastors Conference. And so he was just talking about how we're using some of the stuff that Sovereign Hope's doing at their church. And so just really encouraging. Um, so thank you for praying for me. Um, I'm exhausted right now. Um, we got back late last night. So we're going to pause for a second and pray together um, that the Holy Spirit would uh, use me and my lack of energy this morning to uh, proclaim the word. Thankful for the opportunity um, in Nehemiah chapter 8, real quick before we pray. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, as the children of Israel were coming back to the land to rebuild, it says in verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood their reading. I'm thankful we get to do that this morning together. I'm thankful that we get to read the word, we get to talk about the word together, we get to explain the word so that we can understand it together as a people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here this Sunday morning. We thank you for the significance of Sunday morning, that your son Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. Father, we're thankful for the implications of what that means for our life today, that we have been set free from sin for those of us that are believers, that we've been raised from the dead spiritually. And Father, we're thankful for the hope that we have in our future that if we pass before your coming, that we will be raised again, that we will be reunited with our bodies. Father, we're thankful that that victory has been won over death. And Father, we anxiously look forward to the day that that's realized in history when Jesus returns for his church. So Father, we pray that Jesus would come quickly. In the meantime, Father, we pray that you would enlighten us this morning as we continue to better understand what you desire for us as a church family. Teach us and encourage us through your word today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that maybe haven't been with us over the past couple of weeks, we have been discussing uh, the future of our church and where we want to be in the next five years. Um, We finished our teaching time through the book of Romans. We will actually be starting a new expository series where we'll work through a book of the Bible in two weeks. Um, We'll get back into that system. So we're going to wrap up uh, today our discussion on prayer and praying for the future of our church. Next Sunday, we're going to have our application Sunday. You're invited to be a part of that. We'll gather here at 10 o'clock. We'll have breakfast like we've done in the past, and we'll kind of discuss the past couple of weeks together be a shortened service, but a time for us to just hang out and kind of chew on the things that we've been talking about and discuss how we're going to apply those things as a church family. And then, like I said, in two weeks, we will be together um, and we'll be uh, studying through a book of the Bible once again. Um, So the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about um, just the responsibility that we have to 
expand God's kingdom through this church, and we've been talking about how uh, we want to do that over the next five years in the forms of planting other churches. And so we want to grow our church with the purpose of sending people out to plant churches. We want to plant another church here locally. We want to plant another church overseas. For that to happen, we've got to have increased leadership within our church, increased in deacons, increased in elders. We've got to um, we've got to have that in place so that we can send those people out. Um, and so we've been talking about how we're going to do that. We've been talking about the responsibilities that we have as a church family uh, to embrace the responsibility to be reading the Bible, fighting sin, teaching Jesus, caring for others. We want to start a local ministry here that allows us to, to reach out to, um, to those that are less fortunate in this area. We want to make money as a church, not for the purposes of expanding our budget, but for the purposes of supporting those that we're going to send out. Um, and so these are things that we're praying about as a church family, things that we want to accomplish as a church family together. Last week we talked about praying to a God that doesn't change. And so we talked about how does prayer fit in with uh, the responsibility to recognize that God doesn't change, that his plans don't change, that his purposes doesn't change. How do we pray and ask things to a God that doesn't change? And we looked specifically at 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, and we talked about how the purpose of prayer is to, um, to obligate us the responsibility to praise God when prayers are answered. In verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 1, it says, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And we talked about how Paul, um, Paul had pretty much told them, I feel like God's going to deliver us. We're in persecution right now. We're being oppressed. I'm pretty confident that God's going to deliver us. I want you to pray for it, though. I want you to ask God for it. And we said that he clarifies it and says, the reason I want more of you praying for this is so that when it happens, there's more people to give thanks to God. And so I've been challenging you as a church family. I want you praying for these things. I want you praying for these goals that we have as a church and not just the elders of our church praying for them. Because when God answers these prayers, I want us to be able to celebrate uh, the, the maximum amount of people in our church celebrating God and for what he's accomplished here. And so as we have Elder Ordination Sundays, that you are able to praise God because you were praying that elders would be established here. When we, when we ordain deacons or, or just commission deacons to service in our church, that you're able to praise God for that because you've participated in praying and asking God to provide those things. We looked specifically last week at how there are prayers that have changed the course of history. We saw Hannah, how she prayed for a child, a barren womb, and she prays and, and asks God for that provision. God not just answered that prayer, but overwhelmingly answered it with additional children that was provided to her. We talked about Elijah praying for rain after the, the years of drought. God told him, he said, go talk to Ahab get everything prepared, I'm going to send rain. And then we saw Elijah praying for that rain, but having to pray seven times for something that God had already told him he was going to do. So we talked about the patience aspect in prayer, that God is a patient God, and so we're to continually be praying to God and not expecting him to work on our timetable. And then we saw the church praying for Paul's safety last week, that in Romans 15, Paul laid out his church planting strategy. Here's where I want to plant churches. Pray for me. Pray for this provision. And then we looked in the book of Acts and saw how time after time, God answered the prayers of that church and delivered Paul from persecution and worked out details of that plan, details of what was playing out to make sure that Paul was safe. Today, I want us to look specifically at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. I want us to see how Christ instructed his disciples, the principles that he lays out in this prayer, and I want to see how it ties into the things that we're praying for as a church family. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's some important elements here. I don't think that Jesus is giving a a one-time description, pray these these words, because he's already uh, kind of taught them about the fact that we don't just use repetitive phrases, that there's nothing magical about the words that we say. Instead, I believe that Jesus is communicating principles here, uh, principles that should find their way into our prayer life. As, as we pray to God, as we um, bring our requests to God, as we, as we use prayer as an opportunity to worship God, that these are the type of principles that should find their way into our prayers. And I've broken it down in your notes so that we can kind of see it in sections here this morning. So we'll start there at the beginning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That, that term hallowed has the idea of, of God's holiness. And really it has the idea, not that God needs to be made holy. Obviously God is who he is. He, he is the I am. So he's always been and always will be holy. So it's not an appeal. It's not um, a request for Jesus' disciples to pray that God would be made holy. Instead, it carries the idea of God being treated as holy. That he would be treated with the highest level of honor and respect amongst people here on this earth within the church, within those that are following him, but then also as God expands his kingdom, that God would be treated as the holy being that he is. And so Jesus is commissioning his disciples to pray for this. Don't pray that God would be holy. Pray that people would see that God is holy, that he would get what he deserves, that he would receive the honor, the respect, the obedience that he deserves. I think it's important, too, that Jesus refers to God as our Father. We pray confidently to a Father that does not change and is the source of all goodness for our life. There's a relationship factor there that exists because of our adoption, because of what Christ accomplishes on the cross, we're adopted into his family. And so when we read these passages in the Old Testament that talk about God's glory, specifically in Isaiah, the pictures and the descriptions of a holy God on his throne, we're reminded in the New Testament that that is now our Father, that we are adopted into his family. And so in all his glory and all his power and all his wisdom, it's he that we come to to make our requests. And we come not in in fear because the veil has been torn down. We come in confidence, the book of Hebrews says. We approach the throne of grace in confidence because we're covered in the blood of Jesus. We come as perfect people because of Christ's righteousness. So we don't come in fear. We come confidently to our Father and pray to him. In James chapter 1, verse 17, we understand more of who our Father is that we're praying to. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's a good God. He's always been a good God. And he'll always be a good God. That's why the doctrine of of immutability, the idea that God doesn't change, is so important. Because if God could get better, then it means he's not the best God that he could be today. And if he could get worse, then obviously that's a fear of ours as well, that, that everything that we hope in, everything that we feel assurance in could break down in the future. And so the truth that the Bible tells us is that there is no variation with him. He's always good, and everything that's good comes from him. And that's the God, the Father that we pray to. Our prayers, Jesus is telling us, need to be shaped by a desire for God's glory to be accomplished through us. And that goes back to how we're praying as a church right now. We're praying for these goals. We're praying for leadership to come up in our church. We're praying for churches to be planted, not so that Sovereign Hope's name is great in our community, but so that God's name is made great in the lives of the people that we're able to reach. That, that, that he receives the honor and the respect that he deserves. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We trust in this type of God. The psalmist says in Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall. But we rise and stand upright. 
The psalmist reminds us that as believers, as Christians, we trust in something that's not of this earth. We don't trust in our circumstances here. We don't trust in, in anything that this world has to offer. Instead, we trust in a God who is always good and never changes. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We submit to him today. We work for him today to expand his glory. Secondly, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We work to expand the gospel as a means of establishing God's kingdom here. Jesus is telling us to pray for the kingdom to come, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, depending on where you lie eschatology-wise, you know, in regards to what the future holds, um, it's very possible that the, the, the kingdom is coming here and that we'll spend a, a lot of eternity, if not all of eternity, here on a new earth. Jesus is saying, pray for this kingdom to come. Pray for Jesus to reign right now in the hearts and lives of individuals. As he rules and reigns in heaven, pray that he would rule and reign here on earth. And we work for that. We work to expand the gospel, to expand his kingdom with our efforts. We demonstrate our desire for the kingdom to come by doing these type of things. In Daniel chapter 2, we get a description of this coming kingdom. Daniel chapter 2, verse 34. You'll remember Nebuchadnezzar has the dream of the, the statue in the Old Testament. This great statue made out of different metals. Um, and ultimately, it ends up falling down. It ends up being crushed. And we learn from the interpretation that each one of these pieces, these metals that represent, that are, that are part of this statue, represent different kingdoms. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. Skip down to verse 34. And in those days of those, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain. And its interpretation, sure. Daniel says this will happen. There is a kingdom that's coming that will put an end to all other kingdoms. We know that to be Christ's kingdom now. We know that he has the ultimate kingdom that is coming. In Revelation eleven fifteen, this promise, this interpretation that Daniel gave continues to be true. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We're a part of this kingdom if we're believers this morning in Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The Bible tells us to seek these kingdom purposes in Matthew 6, 33. That we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We pray for laborers to help expand this kingdom in Matthew 9. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. So Jesus says, pray for the kingdom to come. How, do, how can we be even more specific in praying for that? Pray that God would raise up laborers to bring the kingdom. We're doing that here at church. We're doing that here at Sovereign Hope. We're praying that God would raise up laborers, raise up elders, raise up deacons, raise up people that are willing to go from our church to plant other churches. I told you that in the midst of this, that we, we still submit even our plans to God's better plans, that as best we can, we believe that this is where God wants us to go. But in James 4, 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
I can't tell you that in five years we're definitely going to be doing this. God may have different plans for us. But we're moving forward in this direction, and if, and if he needs to steer us differently, then we trust that he will. And we're submitting our agenda, we're submitting our plans to him. But ultimately, we're coming back to what Jesus is telling us to pray in Matthew 6. We desire God's glory. We desire for his kingdom to come. And we see that best being fulfilled with our church by us continuing to plant more churches. On the idea of submitting our agendas to, to God, that sometimes God does things that we don't expect. One of my favorite missionaries, when I was teaching sixth grade Bible, we did a, a series on missionaries. And so we would, I was teaching them about different missionaries. And, and one of my favorites is a lady named Adele Field. Adele Field met a man that was going to uh, go overseas to be a missionary. And so she opted to be a part of his ministry and says, you know what, I want to marry you. I want to go and do this with you. And so he went ahead of her to get the thing started, and then she was going to come and meet him there, marry him there, and then they were going to start their missionary family together there. Obviously, at that time, in that day and age, there wasn't uh, quick ways of communication, so he went in advance, and as she was told to do, she followed through and left when she was supposed to leave. She journeyed for seven months on a boat and, and barely escaped death due to illness finally makes it there to Thailand only to find out that her husband was dead eight months ago. Before she ever even got on the boat to leave, he was already dead. He had gotten sick and died. This is what she said. I've journeyed seven weary months over tempestuous seas and in strange lands to meet my beloved, and I found his grave with the grass upon it seven months old. I've come to my house. It is left unto me desolate. While I stood holding out my hand for a cup of happiness, one of fearful bitterness was pressed violently to my lips. I looked joyfully to providence, and it turned upon me a face of inexpressible darkness. And Because I believe in God, I've been able to endure it. Sometimes God has different plans than, than, than we have for ourselves. The trust there that we have is Romans 8, 28, that is, as God's children, he only does good things for us, and that never changes, that never varies. Colossians 3, 1 through 2, the reminder there is for us to keep this perspective, to keep this focus on God's glory and the coming kingdom. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We pray to keep our focus on the future. All right, turn over with me to Acts chapter 6. We're going to come back to Matthew 6, but I want you to go to Acts chapter 6. All right, so we're praying as a church that God would be honored, that he would be hallowed as he deserves, that his kingdom would come. How does that look even more specifically in the ways that we can pray? In Acts chapter 6, You know, we're praying for elders and deacons, and I want you to see the connection that when there's elders and deacons in place functioning the way that they're supposed to, the word goes out and the kingdom expands. The church grows. When those two things are working right, the, the, the elders are doing what they're supposed to do, and deacons are in place to help assist, it only causes the church to get bigger. So I want, to, I want you to see that connection. In Acts chapter 6, even though these guys are never directly referred to as deacons here, a lot of people would say these are the first uh, individuals that sit in that type of uh, position or that type of office. Uh, they function like what a lot of deacons would function like today in our churches. It says in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty." But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So get the picture here. If you've studied the book of Acts before, you know Acts 2, 3, and 4, the church is just growing at a crazy pace. And they're just adding to their numbers daily. 
At times, thousands are becoming parts of the church. And so in the midst of that, they're doing everything they can to take care of people. They've got these responsibilities to care and take care of people, and they're getting overloaded to the point that people are being forgotten. It's not due to a lack of resource here. It's just a matter of the fact that the leadership has been outgrown by the people they're able to take care of. They've grown too quickly. In Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. It wasn't a lack of resources here that these widows weren't being taken care of. It was that the apostles didn't have time to do it anymore. The church had gotten so big that the, the pastors that were typically being relied on to do a lot of the work of the ministry couldn't do it anymore. And the unity of the church and the effectiveness of the church was in jeopardy. These people are angry about it. They're frustrated about it. The apostles say, look, we've got to find some individuals to help us. The term deacon is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Over a hundred times in the New Testament it's used. It's not always used as a a title of a position. A lot of times it's used as a functioning type word. It's the idea of serving other people. Deacons are simply head servers, basically. Head waiters, head waitresses. They're the ones that lead in serving people. In Ephesians 11, Ephesians 4.11, sorry. Ephesians 4.11, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, we don't get into a lot of Greek wordage here, only when it's really relevant. It's relevant today. In verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The Greek word there is for deacon ministry. The idea of working, serving. And so what the Apostle Paul is telling us, he says, God has given leadership to the church to equip the church members to function like deacons. Everybody functions like deacons. And then in the midst of everybody functioning like deacons, there are some that actually become deacons, that become the, the heads of ministry teams that lead the other church members in their service. And that's what was needed here in Acts chapter 6. People are being left out. People aren't being cared for. The quick growth had threatened the unity of the church and it had threatened God's glory. So the first solution that was possible in this situation is that the pastors and elders need to work harder. They need to work harder. They They need to figure out how to take care of these people, but the apostles say it's not us. It can't fall on us. If we do this, then... Our responsibilities to pray and to teach the word will suffer. So the second solution is to find spiritually mature people to handle it. Look what happens in verse 5 of Acts chapter 6. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Now look what happens. The, 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 the elders say, look, we need more leadership in our church. We need people to function as deacons in our church. We need help. Our church is growing, and we can't take care of everybody. And we need your assistance. We need your help. And we need spiritually mature people to assume these positions. And so they pull these guys out, and they pray over them. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I don't think this happens if these guys don't assume the responsibility of deacons here. I don't think the word keeps going. I think this controversy, this This racial controversy. Hey, these people are being taken care of, but we're not being taken care of. I think it would have divided the church. 
I think Satan's trying to hinder the growth of the church here. We've talked about before, Paul says, Satan tries to hinder us. I think Satan comes in, his forces come in, they try to get divisive within the church. And it's only because the Holy Spirit leads the elder leadership here to respond appropriately that the word continues to go, that it continues to increase. And don't miss this last part here. You kind of read and you're like, okay, the word continued, number of the disciples multiplied, and then a great many of the priests became obedient. Why is that important? Why is that relevant? If you go back to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. It says the priests were annoyed because they were teaching the people. Then the priests see how the church responds to this issue. And it says the priests believe. A combination of the teaching of Jesus and the love and care for the church leads these individuals to respond to Jesus. We need elders and deacons in our church to grow our church. We need elders and deacons in place in our church so that people respond to Jesus. Think about this. If we're talking about our church increasing from what it is now to 150, that's way too many people for me, Adam, and Tyson to take care of. It's way too many people for me, Adam, Tyson, and the deacons that we have in place to take care of. Think about how quick we've already just been growing in the last couple of weeks, people visiting our church. Imagine if everybody that's visited our church in the last month decided to join our church right now. Right? So a lot of us have been here for a long time, and then a big group of people come in that haven't been here. We could very easily have the exact same thing going on here in our church. Hey, the people that have been here are being taken care of, but what about all of us that are new that aren't being taken care of? Why do we need elders and deacons? Because we want to grow our church. We want our church to increase. We want the kingdom to expand. And we can't take care of 150 people. We just can't. Not with any of us being full-time pastors and deacons here. It would be impossible. And if we don't have people step up, if we can't call upon people to step up, just like these men were called upon, to serve in this capacity, to lighten the load of the elders and deacons that are already in place here, either two things will happen. One, the prayer and the ministry of the word will suffer. Instead of me having time during the week to prepare to teach and do what Ezra and Nehemiah were doing where they were reading the word and explaining the word to the people, we'll end up taking care of this type of stuff. And the ministry of the word will suffer. Paul says we can't have that. The apostles say we can't have that. We can't have that. We need individuals to step up and assume these responsibilities. I want us to stop here in, in, in the midst of discussing this, and I want us to pray for this, and we're going to do this as we work through Matthew 6. We're going to pause and, and pray for these things specifically. If Jesus is teaching on prayer, it would make sense that we wouldn't just talk about it, that we'd actually try to apply what he's telling us to do here. And so we're going to pause for just a second. And in the midst of Jesus teaching us to pray that God's name would be glorified and that his kingdom would come, we're going to pray very tangibly for our church specifically that elders and deacons would be raised up so that this can happen, so that our church can continue to grow and so that people that come to our church can be cared for the way that they're supposed to be cared for. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we echo what Jesus said. We desire for your name to be great. We desire for you to be glorified, not because you're not holy, but because you are holy, and people need to see that. People in our community need to respond to the fact that you are a holy God. And in their sin, they cannot spend time with you for eternity. Father, we recognize that in our community, there are people that are condemned before you. That in your holiness and in their sin, the two cannot mesh. And God, we desire for the gospel to go out to our community. We desire for people to know Jesus and what he has accomplished. 
Father, we desire for our church to grow as people respond to the gospel. But Father, we want to be proactive in knowing that as you grow our church, if, if we're faithful to teach Jesus like we're praying for, and our church does grow, Father, we recognize there are people here that will need to be discipled and cared for and taken care of, Father. And I know that in our current structure, we don't have enough leadership in place to do that. Father, I'm thankful for the example in Acts chapter 6 where the apostles, who were far more spiritually mature than any of our elders, confessed, we cannot do this. And so, Father, we confess the same thing to you this morning, that we cannot possibly care for a church that grows to 150 without additional leadership. And so, Father, I pray that you would call out men, men to be elders within our church, to shepherd our church family. God, I pray that you would call out men and women to serve as deacons within our church, to be those head servers, those, those examples, those leaders of service for our church family, to help care for these needs that are going to come. Father, we pray for this. We ask for this. We ask for these laborers for your harvest. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus goes on and tells us to pray that God would give us our daily bread. It's a, it's a principle there to pray that God would give us our daily provisions, our daily needs. Now, that doesn't remove responsibility from us. When we were going through First and Second Thessalonians, Paul was very clear in Second Thessalonians 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So we pray, and this is why we pray before meals a lot of times. We pray and we thank God for the food that he's given us, even though we realize, hey, I work hard for this. But it's, it's God who provides the jobs. It's God who provides the ultimate resources for our daily needs to be met. So we pray for those things. We thank God for those things. But it doesn't remove our responsibility to work hard for those things. But Jesus reminds us to be in prayer that God would continue to faithfully give us our daily provision. In the midst of that, we fight for contentment with what God gives us. You know, we have to differentiate between needs and luxuries. God has promised to take care of our needs. He hasn't promised to give us every luxury that we pray for, right? The Proverbs 38 through 9 even describes the dangers of God giving us more than what we do need. Proverbs chapter 30 Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He says, don't give me more than I need. I'll forget you. I'll become so secure in what you've blessed me with, I will not see a need for you. But then he also prays and says, God, don't give me less than I need to where I'm forced to steal. I'm forced to use dishonest means to get what I need. He says, give me what I need. Give me contentment with what I need. Philippians 4.19, Paul continues to highlight that idea of contentment. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for our daily needs. We pray for our daily needs without worrying about them. In Matthew 6, after Jesus is teaching about this, he reminds them that they pray, they ask God for it, but they don't worry about it. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than than clothing. Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we pray for God's daily provision, realizing that he's going to provide it for us. And it gives us that means to be thankful to him for it. But I want to draw your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, not everybody in here is, is going to be called to be an elder or deacon here at Sovereign Hope. That's not the expectation. 
not the expectation that everybody in this church is willing to go overseas and plant another church. It's not the expectation that everybody's willing to go plant another church around here. Remember, we're talking 150 people. We want 75 of them to go plant a church. Noonan, Peachtree City, Fayetteville. 75 people stay here. And we do the whole thing again. And we send more people out. So there's a matter of finding what your role is going to be in the future of our church. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life." I told you one of our prayer requests here is that you, as, as church members, would start to make a lot of money. A lot of money that you can give to this church. But not so that we can build a building. Not so that I can become full-time here. I've told you before, our bills are paid. Our bills are paid. The money that continues to come in here now is going to be used for missions. And so we're praying that you'll get raises at your jobs and that you'll make more and more money with the, with the mindset to share it, to support the six to eight people that are going to go overseas and plant a church. That they're going to need provision. And, and, and Paul tells Timothy here, yes, there's people that should pray the Proverbs prayer. Don't give me more than I need. Don't give me less than I need. Give me just what I need so I can be content then Paul says there's some people that God is going to give a lot more to them than what they need. A lot more to them. And they're to be willing to share it. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Storing up treasure for themselves. Jesus says pray for our daily provision. In praying for that, we want to pray that God would provide enough for us so that we can help take care of other people's daily provision, so that we can send people from this church. We can take six to eight people and say, we want you to go to this location, Uganda, Romania, wherever it ends up being. We want you to plan a church. We want you to communicate Jesus, and we don't want you to have to worry about a dollar. We don't want you to have to go to appeal to friends and family and stress over whether or not there's going to be money there to take care of you. We want people to leave knowing that our church has them, that we're going to provide for them, that we're going to take care of them, that we're going to be rich and be rich in good works, that we're going to use that money and share it generously for God's kingdom. So we're going to pause right here, and I want to pray, and I want to continue to pray for this, that people within our church would make money that they can share for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for our daily provision. Father, I thank you that, to my knowledge, nobody in here this morning is hurting right now financially for money for today's needs. God, we recognize that there may be worries about tomorrow and the future, but Father, we know that you have been faithful to take care of us today. You've provided cars and transportation for us to be here. You've provided clothes on our back. Most of us have already eaten today. So, Father, we thank you for those blessings. And, Father, we continue to pray for your provision. Father, I pray for those in our church that you desire to bless financially so that they can send people overseas to be missionaries. God, I'm thankful that you've put us in a position where we don't need money here at this church God, we're praying for an increase so that we can send people overseas. So, Father, I pray that you would provide that. God, we are calling for your name to be glorified and honored amongst the nations. We desire for your kingdom to come, and we are so grateful, so thankful that we get to participate in that, that you have chosen to call us into helping bring your kingdom here. God, I pray for those in our church that are not going to be elders and deacons, that are not going to be planting churches, that are going to stay right here in Sonoy, that are going to continue to live here and work jobs here and 
raise their families here. Father, I pray that you would give to them in such a way that they can give generously to others. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the last section here, the last two sections, and we'll wrap up. Back to Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This idea of of confessing our sin, it necessitates that we know our sin. It necessitates that we're sensitive enough to what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life, that we're convicted about sin, and we're confessing that sin. Now, Now, we believe here at this church that you don't confess sin to keep your salvation. It's not necessary for you to confess sin if you're a believer in order to keep your place in heaven, right? You could die today with unconfessed sin in your life, and if you're a believer, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're going to heaven. You will be with Christ in paradise today. But there is a, a, a necessary role for confession in our life. It keeps us from being hardened to sin. It's that self-awareness that I'm not what I'm supposed to be yet. And I won't be until Jesus comes back. And until Jesus comes back, I need to be mindful of my rebellion and confess it to God. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit that, that works in our life to bring about this conviction. In John 16, 8, And when he comes talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminds us of our sin. The Holy Spirit prompts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit breaks us of our sin. We're called to intentionally examine ourselves to confess where we're wrong. And then we are able to pray knowing that God forgives us of our sins. In Jeremiah 31, when the new covenant is being described... This is one of the promises. Jeremiah 31, 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. He, he, he separates it from the east to the west. We don't offer animal sacrifices anymore because our sins have been forgiven once and for all. We're not under the old covenant where we have to constantly bring sacrifices and and slaughter animals here at church as as a means of recognizing that we're sinners and asking God for God's forgiveness. We have God's forgiveness, and we have that comfort and assurance that even in the midst of being a Christian and battling sin and we fail, that we can confess those sins and experience that renewed forgiveness every day. And Jesus tells his disciples to pray with this mindset. It serves as a, 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 an expression that we really are saved in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Jesus tells his disciples to pray for forgiveness to be mindful of their sin. But then he also says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Luke twenty two forty. 40, Jesus tells his disciples the night that he's betrayed, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray, that you may not enter into temptation. It's comforting to know that God never tempts us to sin. God never leads us into temptation. He never never leads us into temptation in the sense of he's not the one responsible to tempt us. In James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured, and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We're told to pray that we're not led into temptation. We're to pray for deliverance from evil. 1 Corinthians 10.13 We're reminded that even in the midst of temptation, there's always a way of escape. It says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, 
And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God never takes us somewhere that we can't be victorious. He never puts us in situations where we have to sin. He always makes a way of escape for us. In in praying for the future of our church, praying that our sins are forgiven, pray that we're not led into temptation. We want to specifically be praying that our members fight sin and yield to righteousness. That we fight sin, that we yield to righteousness so that we can be used by God for his kingdom. You know, we talked about the fact that Satan would love nothing more than to wreck our church by disqualifying our leadership. And I've asked you as church members to to be heightened to that sense, to be prayerful over our leadership, praying for our protection, that we would be guarded and protected from temptation, that we would find that way of escape when it's presented to us. Satan would love to wreck our church by disqualifying our leadership. Satan would love to hinder our church from accomplishing these goals by keeping church members mired in sin. For us to have elders and deacons, we have to have people that are godly, mature individuals that are setting examples, that meet the qualifications. That meet the qualifications. And Satan would love to keep believers here mired in sin to where they can't be qualified for these positions. So that as our church grows, there's divisiveness because people can't be taken care of. And so we want to pray specifically that our members would fight sin, that they would yield to righteousness. And I would appeal to you to pray for each other, to pray for each other. You're in accountability groups, you're in small groups, to pray for each other and not just praying for the requests that we're so quick to mention in those type of settings. Hey, my, my, my so-and-so that I know at work is, is, is sick or, or this, this person is sick. Those are important requests and don't think that I'm insensitive to those type of requests. But as we try to build community within our church, we've got to get to the point where we're exposing ourselves and the sins that we struggle with so that we can pray for each other. James calls us to do that. In James chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has a great power, has great power as it is working. Luke 22, Jesus prays the type of prayer that I'm talking about. For Peter, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You can actively take what Jesus tells his disciples to pray for here. Pray that our sins are forgiven. Pray that we're not led into temptation, and pray those type of prayers for each other. Pray that we'll be delivered from sin. Pray that we'll be healed and that we'll be victorious so that we can be useful to God for his purposes here. As a means of application this morning, two things. Number one, pray for wisdom and guidance about your role here. Pray for wisdom and guidance about your role here. James 1.5 says, if we lack wisdom, we can ask God. He gives it to us richly. You know, as we've been talking about this over the past few weeks, we've talked about different roles. You know, we've talked about people that are going to be raised up to be elders here, people that are going to be raised up to be deacons here, people that Lord willing will be raised up to be sent out to a foreign country to plant a church, people that will be raised up and, and sent out to plant a church that's closer to where you live right now, people that will be called to stay right here and work hard at their jobs, and give generously to make these things happen. And I would ask for you as a means of application to pray where you fit into that. Where you fit into that. What, 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 what role do you see yourself fulfilling for those that are members here? And I know we've got people visiting, and I think, again, it's been a great time for you to visit because you're getting a picture of where we want to go over the next five years.
and into the future. For our members, where, where do you fit in with this? What role do you see yourself fulfilling here in building the kingdom? Secondly, pray for the continued growth of others in our church. Pray for the continued growth of others in our church. The first piece of application is for you personally. For you to figure out how you fit into this. But even if you figure out where you fit into this, this doesn't happen without everybody, right? Everybody has to be playing their role here. So pray that God would continue to grow people in our church. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our Lord, or God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says to this church at Thessalonica that we studied about in the past, he says, I pray for you constantly that you would fulfill your worthy calling, that you would be what you're supposed to be for God's glory. He says, so that Jesus may be glorified. Pray for each other right now. Pray for each other that we would grow, that we would fight sin. You sit there and say, you know what? I'm part of the Sonoy group, right? Like, I'm staying here. I've got a great job. I love my job. I love my family. We fit here. We, we love here. Then you pray for those that need to be raised up as elders and deacons that are going to leave. Pray for their growth. Pray that they fulfill their worthy calling just as you're striving to fulfill yours. Pray that God would raise them up. Pray that God would sanctify them, mature them spiritually. We want to be like the Acts church in Acts 6. The word was being proclaimed. The church was growing. God's name was being glorified. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you. that while Jesus was primarily sent to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for us, that we, we can also reap the benefits of just little examples that he set in the midst of that bigger work that he was accomplishing. We've been able to reap a little bit of that this morning just looking at the way that he instructed disciples to pray. Father, I pray that our focus would be your glory and your holiness and it being made known to the nations. God, we want your will to be done here. We want your kingdom to come. God, as we wait for you to come, we know that there are things that we need on a daily basis and, and so we pray for those things and we ultimately thank you for those things. We thank you for how you provide for our needs. Father, we pray continually that you would, um, as we know you will, be faithful to forgive us when we mess up, when we, when we fail, and we're thankful for the gospel and the, the joy that it brings us that in the midst of failure, we are failing a loving Father that is always there to welcome us, is always ready to forgive us. God, I pray that you would, even as we leave today, guard us and protect us from temptation. God, I pray that our people would be victorious this week. They would yield themselves to righteousness. They would resist sin. They would find the way of escape that you've promised. And God, on a bigger scale, I'm praying that you would raise up elders and deacons in our church so that we can expand your kingdom. God, I pray that you would bless our church, not for temporal reasons, not so that we can live in bigger houses and, and enjoy better toys, not so that we can do anything different than what we're already doing here at this church. Father, we're praying for those, those financial resources so that we can accomplish things for your purpose. So Father, I pray that you would give in that way. 
give so that we can give back. And Father, I pray that you would help us to fight sin so that leaders can be raised up in our church. Leaders that meet the qualifications laid out in Scripture. Leaders that can assist leadership that's already in place so that our church members across the board can be equipped to do the work of the ministry. They can be equipped to function like deacons, to serve you faithfully. God, I pray that each member of our church would, would pray for that wisdom and would meditate on where they fit into this plan. And God, I pray for our church as a whole that you would continue to mature us and grow us so that each individual can fulfill the worthy calling that you've given. And yes, these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.